In the classic film, The Princess Bride, there's a scene where the masked hero offers two goblets to the villain Vizini. The hero has secretly put poisonous iocane powder into a goblet, and Vizini must use his instincts to choose which one to drink. The battle of wits has begun. It ends when you decide and we both drink and find out who is right and who is dead. Perhaps you've seen the trope in other films as well, such as Indiana Jones, where a person's choice to drink or not to drink or to eat or not to eat is a life or death battle of wits and wisdom. Well, the trope works in film and literature because God invented it. This morning, we're in Proverbs chapter 9. If you have one of the church Bibles, we're on page 500, where the invitation, the choice is offered to each one of us. The choice, that is, to dine or to die. This is the final poem in the extended introduction to this book of Proverbs. Having described the way wisdom causes us to view the world, the choice is now laid out for each and every one of us. You cannot remain inexperienced or immature forever. This morning, the time has come for every one of us to choose. Dine or die? Let me pray again for our time in God's word. Our Father, we ask that you would please grant us eyes to see and ears to hear wonderful things in your word that we might see Jesus and feed upon him. May we turn aside from our folly and live as we hear your word Please transform us to walk with you all our days, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the choice itself is laid out for us in the first and third stanzas of this poem, which are parallel to each other. So I'm going to begin by reading the first six verses and the last six verses of Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house, she has hewn her seven pillars, she has slaughtered her beasts, she has mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Down to verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, 
Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, or the grave. We have seen these two ladies often in these opening chapters of Proverbs, but this is the first time they are explicitly facing off against one another. Verse 1, wisdom has built her house. And verse 13, the woman folly is loud. Wisdom and folly are both personified as these competing women. Now, all throughout this sermon series, Ryan and I have been telling you that wisdom invites you to listen to her, and folly invites you to listen to her. And the direction our lives take depends on which of these ladies we will listen to. Both of them have a house, verse 1 and verse 14. Both of them are found at the highest places of the town, verse 3 and verse 14. Both ladies offer a meal, verse 5 and verse 17. And both of them direct their invitations to the simple. Verse 4 and verse 16 are nearly identical. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, and so on. Now, who is the simple? They both are calling. Whoever is simple, turn in here. Let me remind you that in the book of Proverbs, there are three main categories of people. There is the wise, there is the fool, and there is the simple. Wise people are those who are listening to and journeying toward the Lord. Fools are those listening to and wrapped up with themselves. And the simple are those who haven't yet decided. Those who are too inexperienced or immature to have made up their minds yet. This is why the simple in Proverbs is also at times called the youth, though it isn't always connected to physical age. It could be spiritual maturity, spiritual youth. And just as we do not typically hold young children responsible for tax evasion on their monthly allowance, we likewise do not typically hold brand new believers in Christ responsible for false teaching or doctrinal errors. We need time to figure things out and to learn and to grow. But as one matures and gains experience and knowledge, their responsibility increases and one cannot remain simple forever. As commentator Derek Kidner says of the simple, one does not stay still. A man who is empty-headed will end up wrong-headed. So wisdom and folly are competing for the attention and the hearts of the simple. It is among that group of humanity that their battle is primarily fought. 
Now, you might wonder why neither of them is inviting the wise or the fool into their home. And that's a great question, which I think is answered in the poem's middle stanza. So just hang on to it for now until we get there. Wisdom and folly have the same degree of visibility and accessibility. They extend the same invitation to the same group of people. But that's where their similarities end. Look at what the differences are between them. In verse 2, wisdom has slaughtered her own beasts and mixed her own wine. In verse 5, she offers her own homemade bread. But in verse 17, all that folly has to offer is stolen water and secret bread. In other words, the only delight that folly can really give is what she stole from wisdom and then twisted to her own purposes. In verse 1, wisdom builds her own house. In verse 2, she sets her own table. But in verse 13, though folly may be seductive, she knows nothing. She doesn't know how to build or construct. In other words, what the poet is trying to communicate through these metaphors is that wisdom can deliver on everything she promises. And folly never can. All she can do is steal wisdom stuff and twist it. Have you ever been lied to or swindled by someone? Because that's what folly is doing in this text. When my wife Erin and I first moved to State College, we had a contract to buy a house. But the day we moved into town, we discovered that the seller on our contract did not actually own the house. When we went to move in, another family was living there. And our seller had no power to kick them out and turn the property over to us. And I can assure you that it feels awful to make a deal with someone who cannot deliver what they promise. And in addition to feeling terrible, it can be very costly. And folly is the worst at this. She constantly promises eternal joy and unending happiness. And she promises fame and fortune and glory. And we listen to her promises and we buy shares in her organization. But when all is said and done, we have nothing to show for it. The only profits we make off of folly are shackles and chains. And the only interest we collect from her investment is that of pain and guilt and shame. Folly may be seductive, but she knows nothing. In verse 6, those who accept wisdom's invitation will live. But in verse 18, those who accept folly's invitation join the dead. Friend, Are you inclined to think you know better than God on this? I ask you, how is it working out for you? If folly seduces you to make just one more purchase that you can't afford, 
Will that really make your life easier? Have all the other purchases had that effect? Why do you think this next one will be any different? If folly seduces you to click one more provocative link, will that really complete your joy? Have all the other images had that effect? Why do you think this one will be any different? Will more harsh words make your relationships stronger or weaker? Children, will an angry argument with your brother or sister really get you what you want? Has the anger worked all the other times? Will this time be any different? Will the next act of revenge crown you the king or the queen of the universe and show everyone how mighty and wondrous you are? We believe these lies, but wisdom can't deliver, or folly, excuse me, can't deliver. This poem presents not merely a word picture. It presents a very real choice. A choice we must make every day in every decision. Wisdom and folly both invite you to dine at their house, but only one of them has real food. The other one turns you into the slaughtered beast in the cellar. The choice is not whether to dine here or dine there, but whether to dine here or die over there. Or maybe you think you can simply not choose. You can simply come to church and sit in a seat and take up some space and then go on your way and live your life the way you wanted to live it anyway. But friends, a decision to do nothing is in fact a decision to ruin everything. Why is it that this choice for wisdom or folly is a life or death issue? Why is there so much at stake? Well, I think that the way wisdom's house is described in verses 1 to 6 is not a random set of metaphors. Notice how wisdom has a house, verse 1, built with pillars. Verse 2, it's a place where beasts are slaughtered. In verse 5, bread and wine are found there. It's up on a hill, verse 3, and it has young servant women ministering there. Friends, all of this imagery echoes what an ancient Israelite would find at the temple in Jerusalem. The very temple that Solomon, the author of Proverbs, built. We have seen all through our study of Proverbs that wisdom is a journey away from ourselves and toward the Lord. When you find wisdom, you find life because you find God himself. And Solomon now pictures that reality in vivid metaphors that his people can understand. When you dine with wisdom, it is like coming to the temple 
slaughtering a beast in sacrifice, joining a sacrificial meal, pouring wine over it, burning some bread and grain along with it. And the book of Leviticus says that God eats those sacrifices. They are called his food. And he invites worshipers to eat some of them with him. You see, the temple is the place where God is. And coming to wisdom's house means coming to the temple to dine with God. And where God reigns supreme, that is where life is to be found. So when wisdom, who was with God from the beginning, invites you to dine in her home, she invites ancient Israelites to dine with God in the temple, and she now invites you and me to dine with God through his Son, Jesus Christ. The life of God and the glory of God are accessible to us. All we have to do is take and eat. Jesus himself gave all of us the same choice. In John chapter 6, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And by coming and eating, he's talking about trusting him, pledging your allegiance to him fully. How does this apply? Brothers and sisters, please listen to wisdom today. Recognize the invitation of folly for what it is. An invitation to come and die in shame. Hear Jesus' invitation to feed on him, to trust in him, to pledge your allegiance to him alone. Turn aside from your simple immature ways, and dine with Jesus for life. Refuse to dine with Jesus and you're a dead man walking or a dead woman walking. But, but how? As far as Proverbs is concerned, how do we dine with wisdom? How do we dine with Jesus? Well, commentator Bruce Waltke suggests that in verses 1 and 2, the house that wisdom builds may represent the worldview of chapters 1 through 9 of this book. And the table that wisdom sets with the feast in verse 2 may represent the feast of practical teaching in the rest of this book. Because of the placement of this poem here in its context, I'm inclined to agree with Dr. Waltke. This chapter is the climax and the conclusion to the extended nine-chapter introduction. And in this introduction, we have learned a whole new way to look at the world. We've learned that wisdom is a journey and not a destination. That's, that's the front door of this house that wisdom is building. We've learned that the fear of the Lord means not trusting yourself, but listening to God's word for instruction. That's, that's the foundation of this building. The wise, the fool, and the simple are all defined by what direction they're moving in with respect to the Lord. That's the east wall. And all we have to do to become wise is to receive and seek the knowledge of God. That's the west wall of this conceptual house. The two chief 
obstacles to such wisdom are greed and sexual immorality. You see, these are the pillars supporting the house. Or, or think of it as the drywall is put up and the roof is laid in place. We've learned from these chapters that anything can change if wisdom enters the ears from the outside, lodges in the heart, and transforms everything about you. And so the electricity and the utilities have been turned on. See, these truths are the foundational pillars of wisdom's house. And you have witnessed that house being constructed over the last dozen sermons or so. So now you are invited to enter that house by adopting that way of looking at the world. And only when you have done that will you be able to make sense of the feast in the rest of this book. You see, many people have taken this book of Proverbs and they've tried to use it to provide generic or secular advice for business, for relationships, for leadership, But to use the wisdom of Proverbs in any other way than to direct people on a journey toward the God of Israel, whom we now know as the Lord Jesus Christ, to use this book in any other way is simply to steal wisdom's food and twist it and offer it in secret. And that is folly. That is not wisdom. So to be clear, you participate in this feast of wisdom when you read and delight in Proverbs chapters 10 through 31 in light of the worldview framework laid in chapters 1 through 9. So the time has come, brothers and sisters. The time to decide whose invitation you will receive. You've now seen wisdom build her house over these nine chapters in the last dozen sermons or so. The feast lies open before you. If you have been walking in wisdom, you understand the delights of this journey toward the Lord. But if you have been content to listen to these words and not do anything about them, then today is your day. And that brings us to the middle stanza of the chapter. The time has come. Verses 7 through 12. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Friends, the time has come for each of us to decide whose invitation we will accept. With these verses, we have come full circle since verse 10 brings us back to the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord, listening to God and receiving his instruction. We started there in chapter 1, verse 7, so we've now returned to the beginning 
Now that we know how wisdom works and what the pillars are that support wisdom's house, we are ready to get started. Now, this stanza goes into more detail on the different kinds of people. And in so doing, I think it explains why wisdom and folly both call out only to the simple. Because verse 7 declares that it is not worth it to reprove a scoffer. It's another word for a fool, someone who just wants to do what they want to do and won't listen to wisdom. It's not worth it to reprove or correct that kind of person. So, wisdom doesn't bother calling out to them. And folly doesn't need to call out to them because they're already dead in her basement. Verse 9 declares that instruction will have a positive effect on wise people. And because of that, folly will not call out to them. She'll end up just benefiting them as they learn instruction and do the right thing. She'd rather they die, so she doesn't bother calling out to them. And wisdom doesn't need to call out to them because they've already turned aside from their simple ways and they now live the fullest of lives actively feasting in wisdom's house. Catch the implication of these verses. When was the last time someone who was wise made an effort to correct you or instruct you or rebuke you? Because if wise people will not bother to rebuke you, you are in grave danger. Perhaps it is because you have scoffed at or rejected instruction in the past and they, wise people, are now obeying verse 8 to not reprove you any further. But if you love reproof and instruction and correction, that love proves your wisdom. It demonstrates the direction in which your life is heading. Now, the chief conflict between wisdom and folly is not over the wise or over the fools, but it's over the undecided, the immature, those just coming of age in the faith. And verse 11 promises that wisdom will make a difference in your life. It will prolong your life to the point of eternal life. But... You cannot pass that life along to anyone else. Not your friends or your spouse or your children or your roommates. Verse 12 says that the wisdom of the wise can benefit only himself or herself. And the scoffing of fools will be held against only himself or herself. So I can teach you Proverbs 1 through 9, but I cannot be wise for you. I can remind you of the teaching here, but I cannot receive that teaching for you. I can correct or reprove you, and you can correct or reprove me, but we cannot ensure eternal life for one another. Each of us must walk this path ourselves. Each of us must decide whether we will dine with God in wisdom 
or die with the masses in folly's cellar. So what is the next step for you to walk with the Lord? How would the Lord have you serve him and his people as you walk this journey? How would the Lord have you heed his instruction and find life? Wisdom is all about maturing in faith and in good works. Now, we have lots of young people in this church, and friends, I am speaking to you this morning as much as I am speaking to the adults. The Lord does not want you to come to church and sit in your seat and listen and then go back to the same life that you were living before. You children are growing into young people. You young people are growing into young adults. And these sermons, this time in God's word, is for you just as much as for anybody else. As you study God's word and hear wisdom's voice, are you growing and becoming a more mature Christian? Please ask whatever questions you have. That's okay. Questions are invited. Don't ignore them or let them fester because the time has come to dine with wisdom, to eat a meal with wisdom, or to die with folly. As for everyone, can you point to anything that you have learned so far from the book of Proverbs? How has this book helped you to see the world any differently? How has it helped you to identify strongholds of greed or sexual immorality in your life? How has it encouraged you to ask God for wisdom and to receive what he offers? Because the time has come to dine with wisdom or to die with folly. Maybe the Lord would have you donate more sacrificially to his kingdom or speak more kindly to those who rub you the wrong way or to invest more deeply in others' growth in Christ. Or maybe he would have you to stop talking about spending time in his word and to start doing it. As a church of Jesus Christ, we must stand out from the world. As the world focuses more and more on following their hearts and being true to themselves, our congregation must swim against that tide, helping one another further along the journey toward the Lord. How does your journey toward the Lord shape what you value? How does it shape how you spend your money or what you put on your schedule? So the time has come. Will you feast on what wisdom has to offer in leading you to be more like Christ? To grow up into maturity of faith. To assist the body in growing up in the faith. I hope you're hungry for a feast. Because for the next 15 sermons or so, we are tucking into the feast as we walk through themes and applications of wisdom in the rest of this book. We'll move past the theory of wisdom, of how wisdom wants us to view the world, and we'll get into the many practicals of how to live a life of wisdom. 
And as we do so, will you hear these things but not do them? Or will you look deep within to find more ways to be true to yourself? Or will it change your life? The time has come. Jesus has offered himself as our food. And he has given us a new perspective on the world around us. And so the choice is laid out for each and every one of us. You cannot remain inexperienced or immature forever. This morning, the time has come for every one of us to choose. Dine or die. Let's ask God's help. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we love you, and you have not treated us as our sin deserves. Please help us, Lord, to hear your call, to hear your wisdom, to see the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might feed on him by trusting him more fully today, tomorrow, each day, this week, on into next week, into the future. Help us to hear in the weeks to come what your word has to say about our words and about our friendships and about our money and about all these other topics that we're going to cover. And may we walk in wisdom in these areas so that we might draw nearer to you and find life. Please help us to turn away from trusting ourselves that we might find that which is truly life. Help us to see the death all around us and to reject the death for what it is. We ask your help by the power of your spirit because of the glory of your name and your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.